The Good Soup Podcast is brought to you by Pilgrim Roasters. Pilgrim Roasters is a roastery and coffee shop located at 4120 Main Street in Maniunk, Philadelphia. Pilgrim Roasters specializes in coffees brought in from all over the world and roasted right there in-house. You can find any of those coffees online at www.pilgrimroasters.com and apply code GOODSOUP10 at checkout to take 10% off your very first order. Now that is a good soup. Good soup. Soup's not a meal. You were supposed to buy me a meal. I'm not stopping you from eating. Go ahead and eat. Get anything you want. Very good. Very good. You know something? No soup for you. Yeah, we both have so much in common. We both love soup. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Good Soup Podcast. This week's double feature was Persona and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So, to kick things off, I'm Allie. I'm Danny. I'm Matt. I'm Eric. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. Yeah. I was going to say Thanks that. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure's all mine, buddy. Thanks. I was really hoping Dan's invite would get lost in the mail this week. I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, no, no nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing. I oh, tried. He, d- he doesn't know about the mail invites. No. Oh, my God. No, he doesn't. So, Persona and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. Two uh, two mm. movies. <laughs> they are two movies, yeah. yeah. Very, very similar movies. Very, so very different movies. I thought going into this, because I had seen both films. Full disclosure, I'd seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire once. I'd seen Persona six times. It's one of my favorite films. I yeah, tracks. They'd be, they'd be <laughs> a lot more similar to each other, mm-hmm. but they're really not. No, they have, like, very strong similarities, but, like... At the at each of their cores, they're very like different movies. They 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 have very different ideas behind them. Yeah, I think we'll start with Persona. Mm-hmm. Persona was revolutionary in the way that it presented itself and presented yeah. its storytelling. Yeah. Um, the French New Wave started this idea of the director is the auteur. So when you're in the room, there's the actors, there's the story, and then there's you watching all of it. Mm-hmm. But in Persona, the audience is removed from that equation, and you're watching through the lens of the director. So in Persona, you're watching through the lens of Igmar Bergman, and he reminds you of that constantly with cuts away the narration over top of it the film kind of melting and stopping and just at moments you feel you're immersed in the story he lets you know that you're only watching his view of the story so if the french new wave was kind of the shot heard around the world to start this idea of the director is the auteur i think persona was the second shot that solidified it across i mean yeah man i agree like in the beginning during all those flashing imagery and you get the penis that was revolutionary yeah honestly revolutionary penis um honestly it's it's hard to miss it's a film i've watched seven times now and each Mm -hmm. time i think i'm gonna understand it coming out of it and i just don't and those films enthrall me more than anything else so this was my first time seeing persona i watched it today with allison Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we did watch it today yeah honestly i mean i feel like wasn't that like? Like I, I understood it. Yeah, it yeah. it didn't leave you mystified, and it was weird. Yeah. But I wasn't I, I wasn't like rubbing my two brain cells together or anything. <laughs> well, yeah, me and Dan don't have any brain cells well, anymore. I think we all should specify this. This podcast <laughs> is evenly divided. Two people who went to film school. 
and two who did it. I bet school. you can never me guess. And, <laughs> me and Eric are the chads. The film school chads. We are. Yeah. I um, actually wrote a paper on this film. And I must say, <laughs> of course and you I think Alan would agree with me here. Yeah. Movies like this are sort of glad why, why I'm glad I didn't go to film school. Because yeah, imagine no. just sitting in like a classroom and you have these guys being like, well, actually, uh, if you look yeah. at frame 15. And I did say that when we were watching that, like, I, I think I would just drop dead if I had to watch a movie like Persona and then have like a classroom discussion about it. It's not. This is as far as the discussion I'll have about a movie yeah. like this. Now that's it. I did not hate the movie. I quite enjoyed it. You guys and are more of the Lion King crowd. That's the fun. Lion King remake. You should, uh, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I actually did really enjoy the movie. Like I thought it was interesting. Like it's very interesting seeing a lot of the shots from this movie and how they inspire what comes after it. Mm-hmm. And I think movies that come after this, which we will mention later, yeah. do certain things better. Yeah. But I think it's cool to see where it sort of can all be tracked down to. And I think that's true for a lot of movies that came out around this time. Just to see, like, the influence and legacy they have. And that, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think, like, if Citizen Kane is, like, the revolution for, like, modern cinema and a lot of modern filmmaking techniques, then Persona is definitely, like, the revolution for the David Lynch crowd. The postmodern. Yeah, the postmodern, atypical. Uh, a narrative, very off the wall, very experimental, very stream of consciousness. And I will never criticize, criticize, sorry, someone for not liking this film. It mm. is hard to watch. It's hard to digest. It is at times could perceived as boring and stupid yeah. and pointless. Now, yeah, I had an okay time. No, I must watching say, it. there's only one scene where I was like, we're not confused at. What was the blood sucking? Yeah. yeah. Am I just um, dumb for that one? No. It's <laughs> so. The one thing about this film is every time Bergman allows you to think, okay, I'm getting it, they're the same person, or they're two different people, or anything, he subverts you again and doesn't allow you to get that satisfaction and that gratification of figuring it out. It's a psychodrama, but it's at times a mysterious psychodrama. It's a puzzle box movie at the end of the day, but... There's no answer to anything. Matt all mentioned David Lynch. I would draw a great comparison with that. I think all in it. all, it's 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 much more of just like a genre red herring. Yeah. It, it suddenly throws this very supernatural, very strange element into the mix just to throw you off the scent. I find myself uh, in a middle ground between you guys. I I do very like pers- I I very much so like Persona. I think it's an interesting movie. I think there is enough there to dive into, to dissect, to find meaning in, and find ulterior motives and everything in that i do however don't think it's like the pinnacle of filmmaking i don't think it's really like incredible again it is cool to see it kind of be the groundwork for a lot of movies that followed it uh but i think you get into that territory like when you go back and watch citizen kane i think citizen kane still holds up very very well but we're so far removed from it that you've we've seen citizen kane done better than citizen kane yeah I would not argue that films have adopted the persona formula and done it better. Mm, yeah, it was it really honestly if anything we've been seeing a lot more of it in the past like 10 years than ever before yes. with psychological thrillers yeah. like I mean even I, was, as, I said it as I was watching I was like you know this feels like the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. the well, lighthouse you did say that. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer which we've talked Spencer, about a lot on here, yeah. you know. It's like I think David Lynch certainly like popularized it, but I think it's really reaching the point where like especially with like a24 horror and like mm-hmm. people like Yorgos Lanthimos doing yes. the this is a drama set in real times but there are these supernatural super 
off-the-wall, unrealistic elements thrown into the mix where they just make it seem off-kilter and strange enough, but it still feels like it's a grounded enough reality. Yeah, there's just enough that like disrupts the natural logic of life that you're like, oh, mm-hmm. hang on. I thought this was like steeped in reality mm-hmm. and like the like ordinary the mundane but then like the blood sucking in persona you're like oh wait what i think we're seeing we're starting to see an interesting trend in like specifically horror movies and thrillers recently where i kind of feel like the like low budget campy teen slasher that kind of had a revival through bloomhouse and everything recently is more and more giving away for the a24 our tour you know psychological there's been a lot of more to say we're resurgence of like those like more low budget like very limited cast yeah. and like just like one like, single jordan location. peele definitely brought that back yes. like hereditary yeah. yes. midsummer definitely yeah. brought yeah, that i back. think just that return of like small budget horror that's not like slasher but like yeah. more like hard yeah. psychological driven horror you can do a lot with one or two people sitting in a room talking musing thinking about their emotions and being psychological mm. than ever before and it, again i think it makes persona like even more relevant to popular media than it's ever been. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we're sitting here, like years and years later, looking yeah, back 66, on it. So, like yes. sixty years ago, almost. I feel like a part of the That's appeal for films like this. No, I'm and dumb. We mentioned like I Citizen Kane and other movies. I feel like a big part of the appeal of it is like imagine seeing for the first time. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, imagine that'd be sick. This. So like in a movie theater, yeah, like yes. they do things where like the the frame starts ripping, the film starts burning. Like if you're if you don't if you have no consciousness about filmmaking or seeing a film you don't have you know home viewing for movies there's no pause there's no rewind yeah. like you would think that the film was just like broken you yeah and even now like messed up even just talk like after you see the movie and talk about it like mm-hmm. we're here right now on a podcast where a bunch of people can listen to it or you could go on youtube or whatever and yeah. find stuff about it yeah you can but go like, watch it right then, now yeah yeah like and you're just if, like be like the group of people who saw it. Like, what the yeah, I mean, we watched it on the we watched it on the Criterion channel, and like right afterwards, watched like four or five of the like two three minute videos where it's just people talking about the movie. Yeah, like professional um, people, not yeah. us, and getting yes. like retrospectives, <laughs> talking about its history, its influence, what it means. It All of those film stops and stuff that you're talking about yeah. were basically Bergman saying this is a film through my lens, as yeah. I said earlier. And unless you had seen the Godard films at that point, which yeah. were kind of hard to come by in the U.S. and the French New Wave stuff, this idea of the director is the auteur, which really took off with Tarkovsky and Kubrick after yeah. it, you would not have experienced that. So it would have been almost a wholly new experience. Yeah, and movies didn't really like draw attention to the medium like that before. Like, no. There was no, like, you are watching a film, here's pictures of films. There was a lot of... 60s is specifically like American Hollywood was very dominated by like genre pictures. Like there were horror pictures like uh, Frankenstein and Dracula and things like that that we'd see a lot of influence in even in Persona. But it was a lot of like westerns, romances, historical dramas. Like it was a very studio dominant era. And then we come out of this in the 60s and 70s and we start to really start to see the birth of like mainstream art house. Yeah, it's interesting to see like. I'm gonna I'm gonna say pre like Jaws, Star Wars, like mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, like, yeah, era. Before, before like genre, pre blockbuster yeah. era, yeah, like seeing like what studio driven movies meant. Yeah, yeah, again, you know, old Hollywood represented the idea that there were the actors, there was the story, and then there was you, the audience, watching the and, triangle. Yeah, yeah. and, and especially, this film replaced you, the audience, with Bergman's lens, which I think is extremely interesting. I totally understand people who are like, eh, it's off putting. It's not what I'm looking for." 
But it is, back to what Matt said, a lot of what we see now in yeah, films. And especially even coming out of like the 50s and 60s of like Hollywood and mainstream culture. like That was kind of the era of the birth of celebrity. Yes. And I think we see a lot in Persona, a lot of like, there's a lot of discussion about consumption of media, what we see, what we decide to consume, this idea of celebrity, this idea of actor, the, these like luscious lifestyles, these bigger than life people really being broken down and cut down to size and really kind of meditative on these ideas, which, you know, again, this is like the kind of the birth of postmodernism. We're yes. like, we're starting to be reflective on the things that we've made and the things we've consumed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to touch on Bergman briefly real mm-hmm. quick. Yeah. He comes out of the God trilogy with The Silence being his last film. And that wrapped up the doubt in man and doubt in God and doubt in a greater belief. And that was what he had made for the last three films. So he really didn't know what to do. He came out of that, got really sick, ended up in the hospital, couldn't talk for months, and then lived on the island where this film was shot. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name, but everyone refers to it as Bergman Island. And he never left. The movie? Yes. Wait, is is there a connection there? Is Bergman Island the movie, like, about Bergman? (laughs) I hate you so much. (laughs) Um, But... He didn't know what to write about, and mm-hmm. he had gone through this experience where he was became a father and disdained the child. He didn't want to be a father. It's documented ah. that he was quite a terrible father in that. You see that theme in this movie, but he didn't want the audience to experience it traditionally through what he felt. He chose to show it through a female character, and he really leaned on Liv Ullman and B.B. Anderson yeah. to influence the experience from a female perspective which wasn't really being done in film and and he carried that out with he has a film the silence he has another film um shame that comes after this which is a war film and it's really experienced through the female perspective even though it's a male and female character and he sticks with that and i think it's really important for the history of cinema that he did that because you at this point, the leading role for the female was reserved for the femme fatale yeah, and or, not this yeah. type no, of role. Or, or the damsel Spe- in distress. Speaking of female role in this movie, I found it very interesting because going in, the only th- I, I haven't watched any Bergman before. I haven't, I haven't seen either. Persona before. But the only thing I knew about Persona, bleh, Persona was a lot of people said that there was a lot of like uh, lesbian undertones. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting watching this movie. They show a lot of graphic stuff. They show penis. They show blood sucking and all of that. They show like and, a dead animal dying, too. Yeah. But the only thing they don't show is like any sort of like yeah intimacy between the two. Like explicit Yes, it fades to black right before it fa- the most yeah, intimate It fades to black right before. Uh, I think it's Elizabeth, and she's going yeah. to kiss yes. Alma. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I just think it's yeah. interesting that I, this movie's known for something that also like yeah, it's they not didn't really, really show. yeah like it's not really explicitly ever shown in the film and i think again like that goes back to that commentary on like media consumption what is in popular media you know we see all these violent images of like war and like the the burning man and yeah. animals dying and all of these things are fine to show and erect penis like is the, fine to show the nail through the hand as well yeah, yeah. especially yes. like that's like a very religious undertone like yeah. this type of violence is is acceptable other types of violence are not yes yeah and i think yeah he does, like I said, a lot of really important things for cinema in this film. At the same time, it is a hard film to digest. And it's not like you're going to sit down and be enthralled and entertained for an hour and 23 minutes. 
it's a lot to take in and a lot to process. It's not the easiest film to watch. And it does this cool thing where it kind of jumps around like stylistically and stuff. Like the the scene where uh, they're they're talking about that like really erotic moment on the beach and stuff feels almost completely different from like the rest of the film and towards the end where it gets really psychological and really like messy and like weird all over the place. Like they almost feel like two different movies. Yes. And I think a lot of that is like the female influence because it from everything that I found like Bergman basically let the let his actresses like really really influence what Heck they were yeah. saying, yeah, yeah. what they were doing, what they were talking about and the way that they talked about them. The only thing that was his we have to do this was the mother hating the child and yeah. neglecting the child cuz he felt an extreme amount of guilt for that. Mm-hmm. And to be fair to everyone, Bergman never reconciled that. He continued yeah. after this film to treat his child in that manner. I mean, that, that's a rough feeling to feel, man. I know. Like, there, you can't really reconcile that. No, you no, can't. It's got to be rough. And I think that's kind of the point of the film where it ends and they're still split. Um, and it's that, in my opinion, the theme of the film is the idea that you conceive yourself as is Liv Ullman's character. But who you really are is B.B. Anderson. So, and that line even within the film shifts back and forth and back and forth and bb thinks she's loving and caring and all these things but then she's cold and hated and doesn't want to talk in a mute but then it flips back around to where she's actually loving and caring and it just kind of teeters on this line going back and forth and back and forth and i think it's a really cool representation of how we in our minds can try and reconcile those ideas yeah and if anything i think that is probably the strongest connection between the two movies that we're talking about persona and portrait of a lady on fire this idea of how do we perceive ourselves how do we perceive others the way that we look at others the way that we look at ourselves i think that if anything other than like the obvious kind of story implications and story overtones that we see between the two movies i think think that there's some visual yeah a lot of as well one scene in particular i think is really similar in portrait of a lady on fire where the painter, can you remind me of her? Uh, Marianne. Marianne runs on and like embraces. Yes. And, and when, apologizes. When we were watching Persona, I said, oh, oh yeah, like, they watched this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, almost the like, same I get it scene. Now. That was so loud. I'm sorry, everyone. No, you're good. <laughs> where Rips your eardrums. BB is like <clears throat> crying and screaming and Liv Ullman will not acknowledge her and acknowledge her apology and love and feed into it. Which almost relays back to the way that she wouldn't acknowledge her child and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. And then you see it in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So you're like, okay, there are undertones in this film where they're referencing Persona. But I would argue Portrait of a Lady on Fire is uniquely its own film. I think complete. so. Yeah. I, I would agree. I think it just is heavily inspired yes. visually. Yeah. like I guess mostly stylistically, in my opinion, from Persona. Yeah. You can go, okay, clearly... Um, the director, Celine, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of her last name. Not even going to try. It's like Shama. It's very French. Mm-hmm. I'm not French. Um, really? I know. Shocking, right? Eiffel Tower, Beggett. Bon joy. <laughs> bon Sorry. Um, apologies to our French viewers. We. We've got so many of those. We're really big I'm, in I, th- I think we lost them last week after Team America, and we were laughing at the baguettes <laughs> as the floor. To quote um, um, Taudega Knights, we? No, we are not French. <laughs> yes, but... Um, I think that <laughs> I think BB was just gaslighting herself the, the, the entire movie. Yeah, 
I mean, the Although, other one didn't have to say anything. I think <laughs> she was just the the sequence of scenes where she's just talking to no one, and she's yeah. like, "This feels so good." But then the next scene, she has that instant regret. I think that's so relatable because we've all been there where we open up and feel really vulnerable to someone, and then feel disdain for them after that because we've opened up our soul to them, mm-hmm. and it's. It's not overtly said in the film. There's no dialogue that says that, but that's the tone, and I think it's really cool. Building towards Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's not a director is the auteur type of film. We as the audience assume that third viewer role where we are looking on to the events that happen. Um, I think that's the main difference stylistically. Yeah, and I think the, the, the connecting line of femininity and perception is both our biggest factor in common between these movies and our biggest dividing line. We're per- oh, for sure. We're per- yeah. persona, oh, for persona sure. is definitely like Ingmar Bergman being therapeutic and living his own life using these women to kind of tell that story. I think Persona, or Portrait of a Lady Fire, Portrait of a Lady on Fire takes a very different, very much more interesting uh, perspective on that, Allie. You're gesturing to me. You want to talk? You want me to talk about yes, it? Yes, because I right? know you have a lot to say. Um, so I do have a lot to say, and I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it very eloquently. Just saying, man. None oh, because you do. know we're all very eloquent. Yeah, we're well, all. Dan yeah, over honestly, here, this Dan is, the most is a scholarly podcast. man. Dan went to law school, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you baby. know, bird law. I can't bird really, law. I can't really <laughs> compare myself to Dan sitting next to me, but. You know, I'll do my best to keep up with the voice here. Ali, d- d- don't don't hype me up that much here. I just stuttered in that like. <laughs> just did it again. Nothing wrong with stuttering, dude. Podcast. Lore. Um, no, but um, what were you saying, Matt? What was the through line oh, here? The uh, the perception of self, the perception of others, and the idea of femininity. Thanks. That's a lot. That was a lot. You see, my thoughts to movie just boil down to uh, horny jail. Uh, bonk. I texted all of you throughout this film, just bonk. Bonk. Um, I do think something that Portrait of a Lady on Fire does extremely different from Persona, um, because this really wasn't a concept at all at the time, or even like in the near future from the time Persona was made, is the concept of the female gaze in film media. Um, which is still a really, really new concept. It's not super, super well-defined. It's um, still trying to come on to its own, um, and it's not even without its critiques, even though it's like a baby concept at most. Um, But Portrait of a Lady on Fire in particular um, is about the female gaze, like first and foremost. And the director has said in multiple interviews that that was her intention going into this movie was to make a movie through the female gaze, about the female gaze. Um, and t- from my understanding of the female gaze, um, the most accessible um, description I found of the female gaze um, is by um, a filmmaker, Joey Soloway, who I actually had not heard of until researching uh, the female gaze. And they actually gave a really, really um, incredible talk in 2016 um, at TIFF. Um, and you can actually look up and find the talk. It's like the clip on YouTube is like an hour long. It's only actually 45 minutes of a speech. Um, the speech is like 40, 45 minutes, I think, in total. Um, it's a really, really enjoyable speech. They're a really exceptional speaker. Um, anyways, um, but I found their discussion um, of the female gaze the easiest to understand and also like the most accurate for myself 
watching media. Um, and so similar to what Eric was talking about, like the, what, the auteur yeah, thing we were talking the about, the there's like a, a triangle in film. Um, and so in the female gaze, the triangle is um, instead of being like the audience, the um, the actors and like the filmmakers or whatever, it's like kind of inverted, but not only inverted. Um, so before I go into breaking down the female gaze um, through Jolie Soloway's uh, TIFF, TIFF talk, not TED talk, <laughs> uh, the, the tiff talk, talk they gave tiff at TIFF, um, I think it's first important to talk about the male gaze, which is um, a term I co- kind of coined, but mostly I think popularized by a woman named Laura Mulvey. And basically the male gaze um, can actually be done by anyone in a film. Like you don't have to be a man to make a movie that uses the male gaze. But quite simply, the male gaze is just like objectifying people on screen, usually women, and just kind of putting them into like a fetishized role or no role at all. Like pretty much anything that is just like the trope of like dead mothers or like divorced wives or like scorned woman. Anything that like objectifies a woman, her body, she has like no personality, stuff like that. That's just like. That's the male gaze. Like we talked about in, in Ad Astra. Yes. The, the, the wife being just a tragic backstory and yes. having nothing else to add. Would you to say yes. the male gaze would be considered as not adding complexity and layers to yeah, a character? That's, that's, yeah, that's a really good way it's of thinking like about it. It's just female characters there to be female. It's, yes. like, wi- it's yes. like women as set dressing, the, as like, yeah, like yeah. scenery, like props, like not really independent or autonomous, simply there to serve a To have boobs. For the yes. plot. Yeah. Or so any Michael Bay purpose. movie. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, a really like simple way of putting it is a male gaze is like a male gaze. A really easy way to spot a, the male gaze in a movie, and the male gaze isn't only limited to uh, like film. It's yeah. just obvious because it's a visual medium, and so you can directly see it. Yeah. But a really easy way to spot it is just when like a woman is essentially like a walking pair of tits. Like that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's, or like, there's like the, the Bechdel test is like a test everyone mm-hmm. talks about. And there's another test called like the lampshade test. And it's like, haha, if you can replace any female character with a lampshade, like, yeah. If, yeah. If, if I may simply, uh, go ahead. Harley Quinn in suicide squad, yes. the male gaze, Harley Quinn in birds of prey, Female yes, 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 that is a really, really exceptional illustration mm. of a character in two different movies, and you can just see by the way she's b- portrayed through the like the literal camera lens, yep. through the direction, yeah. through the her costume. Oh my god! I mean, her like her costume in the first movie, yeah, is yeah. horrendous. The, 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 like the her costume in the movie is like barely a costume. No, it's just she's like essentially naked. Her on ass screen. and tits are out, and yes. it doesn't. The, it doesn't the trailer, feel... the trailer for the first movie, one of the like, it like there's like a whole. S- they were selling the movie on Margot Robbie. Like, yeah, looking yeah. And yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like something that that character would choose for themselves. It feels. Yes. It feels like a Barbie doll yeah. dress. Harley yes. Quinn is like she. she, she She's a fun character, but she's like a domestically abused person. Like yeah. we should yeah. not be like she's a layered her. character, yeah. and they yeah. did not give her layers. And Birds of Prey, they did. They, they gave did. Her they layers. gave her layers. 
and, and even in the second Suicide Squad movie, no, I was going to mention even yeah, James was also James Gunn Suicide Squad. She had squad. that whole sequence yes. of events with the yeah. dictator yeah. guy. Yeah, she's great. Like um, even in that movie, she never felt like overly sexualized. Yeah, like, the I first think one. another another. Um, and I think uh, another very common way to kind of identify or spot this trope of like the male gaze versus the female gaze is again very commonly through a visual medium through cinematography. I think yes. you know there's a lot of easy factors to identify that with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The the camera feels very neutral. It feels very like there are characters in front of us and they are human beings and we are talking. I think a lot of times with the male gaze, I th- specifically think of like Michael Bay movies like Transformers or something. Yes. Think of like the super tight angle yeah, lens, I'm gonna, close up camera. I'm going to interrupt. Looking, no, camera I'm gonna, looking okay. of female from I'm going to interrupt again. Yeah. Um, like another really easy way to like to just be like, yeah, that is the male gaze at work is just like the women in movies like that are made for like male pleasure. Yeah. Not even like explicitly like sexual pleasure, yeah. just to be like, damn, she's fine. Yeah. But for men and for like heterosexual men specifically. Yeah. And I think I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is very interesting because it's very explicitly the female gaze. But I yeah. think we've also seen a lot of movies that take the male gaze and like any genre or any trope, turn it on its head, play with it, turn it around. I think Birds of Prey is very similar to that, where I don't think it's yeah. as explicitly the female gaze as something like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But I think it's a lot of the, the content and subject matter is talking about the male gaze, talking about yes, perception. Yes, I, w- I would agree. And I don't want to like pretend to know the director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire's mind. Um, but like in interviews, again, she has said that like she really was trying to make a huge emphasis on this movie is through the female gaze. And since we've said it a hundred times, I'm going to use um, Jolie Soloway, Joey Soloway's definition of the female gaze. Um, so Matt brought up um, a lot about camera like two seconds ago and like literally just like doing like a close-up on like a girl's boobs or like something like that and that's very male gazy right cool um in the female gaze it doesn't just invert that and then go okay cool we're gonna like do close-ups we'll on like guys yeah. bulges and stuff yeah. like that um so in Julie um Solway's definition um they have a concept called like the feeling camera um, where they really try to emphasize, um, like how kind of Matt was um, saying, like two seconds ago again, like not being like really stale. Or you were saying it really well. Yeah, I think like like emphasizing emotion through camera work. Yeah, I think I guess the, is a good way to put it. Yeah, and I mean again, we can talk about Bergman in Persona. The the director's role in what we see on film is very much you know, depending on the film with Persona, it's very evident. The director is showing you things very intentionally yes. and they are choosing the way that they shoot scenes the way they shoot characters the way they shoot emotions very specifically to be transferring an idea from the brain of the director whether it be a theme composition character moment to you in an emotional way and i think you know you see yes michael bay movies where it's like very close Action-y. up very you know, action very based like, like punchy i think yes. very like i think like the best way to explain the male gaze is the Michael Bay shot. Yeah. Where it's just like a close-up lens literally like looking up and a, down. a female yep. character. Yeah, like yeah. Staring at her legs, I would say looking up. There's a movie uh, called Asphalt Jungle. It's a noir film mm-hmm. from the 50s. 
Marilyn Monroe is in that very early role for him. Mm-hmm. Her entire purpose in the film is to look hot. Now, yeah. the character has complexity. It you it's used to show one of the other characters' relationship with his sick wife and that he's sleeping with Marilyn Monroe, but every time she's on screen, there's one shot that's just her feet and it moves up and down yeah. her body. And like the male gaze, it doesn't mean that like a female character can't also have like a personality exactly. it's that her kind of visual presence is reduced to her body and to just becoming an object and so um this um feeling camera concept in female gaze really just tries to prioritize like the emotions and the feeling of the characters and like the actors like performing and trying to em- get the audience to empathize em- empathize (laughs) with um them and it's like prioritizing the emotion even over the action and like i don't know say you want to do like a certain like look with the camera but if it's not capturing the correct emotion then foregoing that and doing what best suits like the emotion yeah yeah um i don't think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is an over-sexualized movie. No, it's I, not I at thought all. of something no. while I was watching it. We've talked about Benedetta on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Benedetta is very, very similar aggressive. like theme, but very aggressive yeah. on purpose about the sexualization. Yeah. I wouldn't even say it's full-on male gaze for that. It's just more I aggressive. probably would, and I haven't seen it. Okay. In, I haven't seen Benedetta. But in general, I think there's a big difference between sexualization and intimacy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. the yeah. point I'm trying okay, to make. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Think, We're getting yeah. ourselves derailed, and there's two other points about okay. the female yeah. gaze. Just we keep talking no, yeah. about it, and I don't want to like yeah, yeah. just have no. to find it. Okay, so the second out of three concepts um, is called the gazed gaze. Again, tries to produce empathy with the audience and like showing you how it feels to be looked at, whether that's like through another character gazing at another. There's a lot of like eye- intense eye contact between the two characters on screen, and there's really just like stationary shots of them just like talking and just like staring unblinkingly at each other and just being like, this is what it means. Like, to be looked at without being objectified. Um, the third concept is really, really very similar to that one called by Joey Soloway, returning the gaze. And that is when the characters flip it on its head essentially and gaze into the camera and at the audience. Um, so the final two concepts are really, really similar. Then they're both about looking and trying to communicate this idea of of, or I guess lack of objectification and trying to be like, this is what it feels like to be looked at a certain way, whether that's in like a caring way or in an objectifying way. Uh, in um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's never in an objectifying way, which is what makes it such like a pure example of the female gaze. Um, and so there's a lot of moments in that movie where it'll be like Heloise staring after Marianne, but the shot is solely focused front on Heloise and she'll just be staring like yeah. into the camera at the audience and be like, I see you watching me watching her. Um, yeah. So that in a very, very roundabout way mm-hmm. is the female gaze. Yeah, And I, I, I think an interesting part of that concept of the female gaze too is not only like equity in presentation and how characters are perceived and whether that's complexity or agency simply in the way that those characters are presented but i think it's also in how those characters are shown i think it, yeah. i think it's more than just writing a writing a complex female character that is on screen i think it is also the way that that complex character is translated to our audience yeah. and I, think, I, I think that pipeline between director actor and audience is 
yeah. where we find the main difference between the male gaze and the I female think gaze. Building off of that, it's interwoven into the plot because she, um, Marianne is a painter, and her yes. job yeah. is to yes. look at Heloise and determine if she can paint her without her at first posing for the portrait. So it starts out as kind of an objective thing, but her job is it to does. not it be... Does objectifying her in that because she can't realize that she's yeah. a painter yeah so it's almost woven into the entire story yeah. it's done purposefully yeah um so when she paints the first portrait without heloise knowing without her consent she fails and the portrait does not accurately represent heloise as a person and yeah. neither of them like the painting and marianne destroys it yeah um and like that's done very purposeful for the reasons you just said like in the script and so when Heloise goes, no, I'm actually going to pose for you and like be a part of this process, that's when they complete the painting exactly. and portray Heloise not only in the way Marianne actually sees her because she loves her, but also in the way Heloise sees herself. Mm -hmm. um, and so like that, that part of the movie is very important to show the female gaze because um, the first painting, the first portrait she does, she does it for the future husband, yeah. not for her, not for Heloise. Yeah, and the second portrait she does for themselves and yes. not what, really for the potential husband. What was that quote you were telling me about? Is that like inside every... Oh, I'll yeah. find it. I'll find yeah, it. I think um, it's, I but think I just wanted to say, yeah. I just wanted to segue one more thing before I go look up that. Um, but that the painting, the two paintings moment, destroying the one painting, making a new painting together um, is important to further emphasize the female gaze. But she also really, really emphasizes consent throughout her movie mm -hmm. and her being able to consent to being painted the second time is a really big part of the reason why the second painting, the second portrait succeeds over the first one. Yeah, And I, I think like objectively, like that being a metaphor for pieces of art through perception, through creation, through understanding of a subject. Like objectively you could like, if we were to look at both of the paintings that Marianne creates, like objectively they would both be fine paintings. Like they would both be technically good, but it's the, it's, it's, it's the minute details and the, the nuance in it that really kind of mm -hmm. separates the female gaze kind of discussions and kind of thematic tropes and everything when we're talking about stories specifically about romance between two characters, whether that be two characters of the same sex, opposite sex, I think that's where we see it most discussed. And I think two common tropes that we tend to see these movies fall into with like the male gaze versus the female gaze is that I think a common theme is that with a lot of male gazey movies, there's sex and attraction and visceral emotion first, followed by complex understanding and emotional dissection after our sexual intimacy after that kind of aggressive first counter whereas i think we see a lot of the inverse with like female gaze movies i think there's a lot of understanding deep emotional connection a lot of intrigue and curiosity and emotional strengthening before we have our big kind of sexual climax i think yes the most powerful scene in this film is the abortion scene. Now, you might say that because of the content matter. Mm -hmm. I think it's more Marianne's reaction and Heloise's reaction to her reaction where she turns mm -hmm. away not to watch and Heloise is like, no, you need to see this. Yeah. And then they recreate it and paint it, reinforcing the idea that you cannot turn away and ignore this reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everyone was and still does turn away and ignore this yeah 
scary and sometimes mm. brutalistic part of our reality no you need to see it you need to experience yeah. it and then we need to recreate it mm. so that you understand yeah. it public discussion of the taboo yes but it's not done overtly it's really yeah. really small in that scene yeah but it's really powerful and i think yeah. Like, you know, if they just did that scene on the surface and did it without that part, it still would have been powerful, yeah. but I don't think it would have resonated quite the same way where she tries to look away. And I'll be honest, when I'm watching that scene, I try and look away because it's a lot to take in yeah, and it's... it's a lot of emotion captured in that mm -hmm. and a brutal experience. Mm -hmm. But Heloise saying, no, you have to watch, you have to experience yeah. this mm -hmm. is very powerful. And well, I think and it leads right she wants her in. to look because she wants her to paint it. I know. But I yeah. think even beyond that, yeah, in the yeah. story, she wants her to look because we need to look and yes. we need to yes. experience this. It's as much this. as an invitation for Marianne's character to keep watching as it is for the audience to Bingo. keep watching. And I think it's like, please don't look away. Because yes. I don't think it really paints that scene in like a very like brutal or tragic or no it doesn't light. in a like, very matter of fact, fact way yeah. that's why it's more powerful because it's like this happens yeah, and there are children on the bed this is life this yeah. is how these things occur yeah. and there's no judgment no at all yeah. she They're literally actually willing when to help. sophie mentions very offhandedly that she's missed three periods in a row and marianne's like oh do you do you want a child and she goes no and then they just immediately start trying to do like these home remedies of trying to prevent her from conceiving. And when that fails, they just take her to go get an abortion and, and I, that then they just care for her afterwards. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. also like another interesting way to do it, because like it's kind of something that I like. Again, I think if it were like more of a male gaze movie, I think that would be a much more like tragic intense Graphic. very like yeah i feel like yeah. she would have been nude yeah during yeah. the abortion I, there, scene i'm telling you there would have been blood and other things yes. but the point of that scene is not feel for this woman this situation it's tragic yeah. it's experience this this is it, something it doesn't that emotion happens. over action yeah. yes it doesn't emotion try, over action exactly it doesn't try and manipulate you into feeling a certain way about no. it i think we've been no, seeing a lot of discussion if you don't empathize with it you just aren't going to and yeah. the film isn't going to force you to but it's trying to help you get yeah. there I think and at least see yeah i think we've seen a lot of that recently too with just discussions of like women and queer people being able to kind of tell their own stories in their own ways like i think we've seen a lot of that with like stories involving like sexual assault and things that are very graphic still mm, being yeah. told by men yeah, Re yeah. revenge revenge porn yeah. stuff like yep. that like or there's like i don't even know how to talk about this to be quite honest because it's something that is like still kind of being like debated over mm -hmm. um but there is kind of like this trope of like okay i'm gonna mention promising young woman which i haven't actually mm -hmm. seen but like a woman being wronged usually through sexual assault yeah. going and like getting humiliation getting very yeah. physical violent revenge yes. and there's a big argument i guess amongst women is i guess is like an easy way of putting it of like is that the right thing way to depict that or no which i mean it's like a really really nuanced topic and yeah. there's no way i can yeah. I mean, talk about it right now but i just wanted i didn't want to like not yeah. talk about it i think it. it's a very common discussion too like with you know discussion of like injustices like what yeah. is the right way to yeah. and that's not a critique of that movie no yeah, i think injustice. it's an argument of catharsis versus reality yeah, yeah. is it a better experience to 
go to a movie and experience that cathartic, 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 excuse me, mm-hmm. revenge sequence and feel better mm-hmm. because you couldn't experience it? Or is it better to force everyone that's viewing it to experience the pain without the payoff? Well, there's and also a like a critique of it that is like, well, is the revenge not like just a different way of objectifying somebody else and like yeah. taking ownership of yeah. that person? And so is that like the quote unquote right thing to do? Yeah, it's um, like the, the radical versus the centrist ideology, yeah. basically. So one thing that I do want to bring up about the female gaze, which I know I've Mm-hmm. mentioned a hundred things about the female gaze at this point um but some of the critiques about the female gaze is that it's pretty much only inclusionary um to like white women and there's not a lot of like depictions of the female gaze in any like women of color um which a valid critique mm-hmm. i guess um but it is a fairly new i guess like theoretical concept whatever you want to call it i mean um and so i think it has a lot of space to grow yeah. Um, I think that's just if like we're being brutally one. honest here on the Good Soup podcast, we love women to, we love have not had the opportunity to have a freedom of voice for any time outside, honestly, the last 15 okay, years. I have because um, Sophia Coppola made films in the early 2000s with a freedom of voice, but she was allowed that opportunity, honestly, because of her father. Nepotism. And no, yeah. it's not that she didn't earn it. She is yeah. skilled, yeah. but she only got that Hollywood opportunity because her father was Francis Ford yeah. Coppola. Yeah. Wait, I, I'm going to bring up the talk that um, I keep mentioning about the female gaze that um, uh, the speaker actually said that like, in order for there to be like literal true equality in filmmaking is for the next hundred years, no more men can make a single movie and yeah. every single movie has and to come I, from I a woman. I think it's hard too in the mainstream for these type of like uh, underrepresented groups to kind of find the equilibrium to their majority counterparts. Like we see that with a lot of like filmmakers of color, specifically in the mainstream because like outside of the mainstream, there are so many diverse, yeah. incredible artists yes. that just don't get recognition and don't get the spotlight. And it's not to say that these types of films and pieces of art don't exist. It's just that they are not very often recognized by the wide majority. Yeah. And we're uh, like just talking about women in film. Like yeah. this is not even to like yeah. mention yeah. like, but like, <laughs> in, like race, but like in like the that. mainstream, like yeah. we've really had, you know, a lot of talks about like racial race relations in America, specifically in the past few years, not that they, you know, haven't been going on otherwise, but specifically in media, in film, we see, you know, this idea of like portraying black oppression and black pain versus black joy in film. Like a lot of you watch the Oscar oh, movies like, and um, like, like not to say not, I love Steve McQueen and you know, he is a director of color, but like 12 years a slave as like a big Oscar darling and Oscar yes. beauty is they a were, movie. Like those are the types of movies that are like about black suffering that most often get recognized. Yeah, the there unfortun- were a lot of tweets like during like when black history month, like when February 1st started and it was like your Netflix homepage is like about to just be like, Oh, like celebrating black voices, and then it's just like all these slave movies, yeah, yeah. and like movies of like suffering and yeah. stuff like but that. I, I do think we're starting specifically again in the mainstream, mm-hmm. starting to see the culture and the dynamics start to break away with that. Yeah, the yeah. unfortunate thing about progress is you cannot force it, and it does not happen overnight. Yeah. So while we can get frustrated in a moment saying. Why aren't these stories being told? Well, they're not being told because there's been 50 years of established oppression telling you you can't yeah. tell those stories. Yeah. So there is no answer. But I think A24 and uh, a buying 
like mm-hmm. group like Neon and yeah. even Amazon to an extent bringing these underappreciated small yeah. budget art house films to the forefront yeah. and I think is really important yeah, like the helping. Jordan Peele's of the world yes. like really making movies that you know are created and made and in collaboration with people of color like primarily for you know people of color in the audience like to have relatable characters that aren't just the tragedy and the trope of actors of color and characters of color that we've seen in the past. Yes. And it's the same thing. I think Mm -hmm. talking more structurally on portrait of a lady on fire, Mm -hmm. when I watch it and honestly building off of this discussion, my first thoughts are, eh, the first hour of the film is a little boring, but (laughs) now like kind of contextualizing everything together, it does build upon the idea of the gaze and, all of those shots are important. I will say the second half of this film is really visceral and really powerful. And yeah. you're sitting there and I think it is kind of interesting because the first half is definitely slower and the second half is definitely yeah. faster and it's a dichotomy within the film. I don't think it's yeah. quite that jarring though. Really? No. I don't think so either. Dude, but. how do you not feel the longing in the first like <laughs> no, hour? No, I do. I do. Oh my I do. God. I just want to like... I mean, I want to cry at the end of the movie, but, like, watching them, like, just, like, yeah, the, keep, like, looking and trying not to show the other that they're looking and, like... The scene where she's walking up the stairs and Marion is talking about painting her ear, and it it's such an incredible piece of filmmaking because it makes you just stare at her ear, and then she turns around and is looking right at you, and it catches yeah. you completely off guard. Yeah. It's such, like, well, it's, it's a very small moment, but also, she's not just staring at you, so she's, she's staring right at Marianne. Yeah, exactly. We're it's basically, of, like, in her... It's like one of the of most view. incredible, like, passive uses of filmmaking to make me, like, genuinely kind of jump in my seat that I've seen in so long. Watching films can be fun. It can be for entertainment. It can be for pleasure. But watching a film like Portrait of a Lady on Fire is important to get different perspectives. I'm not telling you which movies to like and which movies not to like. But if you haven't seen it, it is an important film to watch, just as I feel Persona is, but for a completely different reason. And I think maybe in 10 years, when we look back at this film, it might be that same situation where it wasn't the first film that incorporated the female gaze, but it might be the shot into the lexicon heard around the world yeah. for film that I mean, launches it into the public yeah, consciousness. Like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and it might just be because I'm just a film nerd and like that's the circles that I run in, but like it's a very well-known, very... Like yes. adored movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an incredible movie. It's yeah. stunning. Yeah. And I think the way that Persona did the film all tour idea and launch female storylines into the forefront in the sixties, Portrait of Lady on Fire could change things and give more opportunity to explore these concepts moving into the twenty twenties, twenty thirties, twenty forties, etc. Yeah. Talking about the male and female gaze, there's a horrifying quote um by um one second. By none other than Margaret Atwood. Yeah. Because she's she's cool. She's intense. Um, I don't want to read the whole paragraph. Hang on. Um, so the quote goes, it's, um, it's from a book of hers, I'm 90% certain. Don't quote me on that. Um, but the quote goes, quote. even pretending you aren't catering to male fantasies is a male fantasy. Pretending you're unseen, pretending you have a life of your own, that you can wash your feet and comb your hair unconscious of the ever-present watcher peering through the keyhole, peering through the keyhole in your own head if nowhere else. You are a woman with a man inside watching a woman. You are your own voyeur. Um, and there's another quote that touches on a very similar 
um, concept in a little bit of a simpler way by um, John Berger, who I only know of because I know this quote by him. Mm -hmm. um, and it starts, one might simplify this by saying, men act and women appear. Men look at women. Women watch themselves being looked at. This determines not only most relations between men and women, but also the relation of women to themselves. The surveyor of the woman in herself is male, the surveyed female. Thus, she turns herself into an object, and most particularly an object of vision, a sight. So, yeah, horrifying quote implying that even if you are a woman interacting with herself and thinking of and viewing herself, it's literally through mm -hmm. a male gaze. Yeah, again, it's this idea of like, one, to acknowledge the male gaze, but then create a world and an art piece and themes and ideas that are more than simply just the opposite of the male gaze, yes. but truly, singularly unique. It's mm -hmm. a problem that we have spanning all of like pop yeah, culture yeah, right now. The male now, gaze is like the patriarchy, want, essentially. People yeah, are like, yeah. there's hate from one direction. Let's do equal and opposite hate from another. That is never an answer for anything you yeah. have yeah. to figure out what is and true and what is honest and what is real mm -hmm. and i think portrait of a lady on fire does that incredibly yeah and i want to make it clear the point of the female gaze is again not to invert the male gaze and no. turn it against men um it is really just to create um like an equal um i guess like field of viewing yes. other people a in a respectful viewpoint. manner um, yeah. And also, both men and women can make art and view others through a male or female gaze. Yes. Um, the gendered language isn't yeah. exclusive in that way. We talked about Spencer, Pablo Lorraine, director, creates a film kind of through the female well, gaze. isn't it the same cinematographer, Matt? Yes, Spencer and... Uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire? Fire had the or same shot by the same person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's an interesting movie by uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. I haven't seen it, but it's The Neon Demon. But he worked with a female cinematographer, Natasha Breyer, who also shot uh, Honey Boy, amongst other things. Uh, but that movie was specifically made, and they had conversations where he said, I want you to shoot this with the male gaze, because that's what this story is. It is a very objectifying story. So and I think it can be done... In a lot of different ways. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying it's, like, the right way to make or interact with, like, film or anything like that. And also, if you make a movie, like, through the female gaze, it doesn't necessarily have to exclusively star women either. No. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a structure see... more so than a gendered structure. Yes. It it's... has gendered language, but it really isn't about gender at all. Yeah, it's honestly, like, about just, right. like, societal norms and, yeah, like, the patriarchy. There's, there's a, a lot of intersectionality in there. There's a ton of it, and it's really important. And if we forget <laughs> about that, then the whole female gaze as a concept will crumble and there's fall. There's yeah. room for more than one, two, three, or a thousand types of storytelling. Yes. And yeah. new ideas as time passes will evolve. Mm -hmm. But all in all, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Persona, both two excellent yeah. movies that make us reflect on the content that we watch, how we watch it, how we perceive media, and how we perceive others. I couldn't set it better myself. Yeah. You could try. Nah, what a closer. <laughs> um, pee pee poo poo. <laughs> Thanks for listening if you made it this far. Um, yeah. Yeah, over and out. Good night. Yeah, thank you for listening <laughs> to the Good Soup Podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Danny. And I'm Eric. And we're all the same person. Good soup. Good soup. Good soup.
Nike sweats and the Reeboks with the straps. She turned around and gave the giant ass a stab. And shoddy went and hit the floor. Next thing you know, she got.